Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay in Baltimore. Eddie Conway, in his book, Martial Law, The Life and Times of a Baltimore Black Panther, writes, I was working for the fire department in April 1968 when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. I'd felt for some time that King's importance for black people had begun to wane. His commitment to nonviolence in the face of such extreme force seemed to have lost its resonance in our community. Black people were tired, angry, and frustrated. The time had come for us to do more than just sing in the streets and march on capitals. Not that we necessarily knew what else to do at the time, but it was certainly clear that we needed to change the strategy. The fact that Malcolm X and Martin Luther King had been assassinated within three years of each other was too much for many blacks, and the result came in the form of riots that raged across the nation. Now joining us in our studio is Eddie Conway. Just to remind everybody, Eddie Conway was a lieutenant of security for the Baltimore chapter of the Black Panther Party from 68 to 1970. He was convicted for a murder for which there is no evidence that he had anything to do with the murder. And there was a jailhouse informant who was notorious for giving prosecutors what they wanted to hear. And based mostly on that testimony, he was convicted. He was released about six months ago and joins us now in the studio. Thanks for joining us again. Okay. So I, I read this quote from 68. Um, this was a very transformative moment for you, too, as it was for many people across the country, particularly for African Americans. Uh, wh what did you decide to do after the assassinations? Well, one, one of the things that happened actually immediately after the assassination and during the riots, uh, because I was in the fire department, uh, there was uh, an emergency statewide call for all, you know, essential personnel to report to wherever their stations, their posts, et cetera. And so I actually had my little firefighter uniform on, the, you know, the whole nine yards. Describe, was, describe what was going on in the streets of Baltimore. There was, it was riding. There was riding uh, uh, East Baltimore, West Baltimore. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of police presence. Uh, uh, I went out in the street. National Guard. The National Guard. I've, I've, seen, I've seen footage of this where yeah, you see that. Yeah, it's like, it's it like was, an occupied city. In the course of three blocks, I was stopped six times by six different military forces, so to speak. The Baltimore City Police Department, the National Guard, the, uh, the state troopers, the Baltimore County Police, the, the National Park Police, uh, the FBI. At some point, I decided that it would probably be wise not to try to go to work, even though I was trying to report the work. This is I you had. wearing your firefighter. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I had been threatened at least three or four times with at guns, you know, at gunpoint, you know, and so um, that experience kind of told me that, you know, there was, wasn't a fair and balanced way in which people were being treated, you know. I mean, it's still, at that time, I'm still thinking integration, reform, the rest of that stuff. But I'm seeing also that we're being, you know, outnumbered and outgunned and abused in our communities, you know. And so it was that point that I decided to, you know, to look and see. And of course, my experience in the fire department itself 
it, uh, out, it, it was called the Edgemere Fire Department, even though it belonged to Spurs Point. Um, my experience Spur in Spurs Point, just for everybody knows, is where Bethlehem Steel Bethlehem was. Steel was. This used to be like the biggest steel, I think, yeah, place in the it, world. Yeah, it employed probably five or 6,000 people, you know, at least 3,000 of them were black. Uh, which was Edgemere. the un underpinnings for a stable black community in yeah. Baltimore until yeah. the steel industry yeah. Yeah. disintegrated. And, and that's one of the reasons why we attempted to integrate the white collar jobs. And of course, the fire department was one of them. Uh, and, but inside the fire department, it was just organized racism, uh, organized uh, uh, white supremacy groups, uh, uh, guns being passed back and forth. Uh, all kinds of uh, sedation talk in terms of what they would do to the black community if we rioted or if we attempted to come out in suburbia, et cetera. And it, it was actually, it was scary. It, it wasn't scary to me because as if I walked into an area or room in which this was going on, everybody would shut up because they had pretty much seen that I was already pissed off. You know, I had enough, right? And uh, but it was scary in a sense of knowing that they had organized all around the black communities, around the urban centers. There were this hostile white supremacist militant Minutemen militia kind of thing that was being organized from the average white John Doe, and it was scary. And it was like. God, do we realize we're cut off? Do we realize we are in trouble? If something happens, we won't even be able to feed ourselves. And so it made me start thinking in terms of, well, what are we doing in the black community to protect ourselves, to look out for ourselves? How are we, I mean, what are we gonna do if these nuts actually uh, get a chance to act out? And, uh, and that's what, kind of drove me to looking for the Black Panther Party and to look for other militant kind of things that were going on. Because uh, at that time, it was clear that racism was like really high. This was the, the, the kind of uh, uh, backlash from integration, the backlash from the uh, school integration, the busing of children, et cetera. And there's a well, lot of hostility going on. This is going. now, we're 68, moving into 68. 69. Yeah, we're in 68 now, you know. And uh, so I decided to, you know, to go and join some other people that at least had the interest of protecting the community at heart. So you start looking for some kind of more radical yeah. thing you can yes. participate in. Yes. What are your options? What's around? Well, at the time, there's uh, something called Soul School. And basically, it was a black culture nationalist organization. And, uh, that was advocating, you know, that we uh, recapture our culture, that we find ourselves in our African roots, et cetera, uh, and that we form black kind of structures. There was some other things, uh, uh, Black Man uh, uh, Development Center, they had like a Black Liberation Army kind of thing that was more show than substance. I mean, they look good, but they didn't seem like they were doing anything. And then there was 
the Black Panther Party. And what did you know of uh, the Panthers at that time? Well, at that time, I had started reading, and the Nation of Islam, I don't want to forget the Nation of Islam, I had started reading the Panther Party paper, the Nation of Islam paper uh, at the time, I think that was Muhammad Speak. Uh, I was reading the, the bulletins from Soul School. I was reading the, the Black Man Development uh, uh, Center. The Black Man, uh, I can't even remember the name of it anymore. I was reading that stuff and looking pretty much at all the different groups. And to me, the Black Panther Party was the only group that was one addressing the the needs of the community in terms of feeding children, in terms of it's organizing, you know, uh, self-defense, in terms of educating and so on. So I decided that, okay, they're the people that I need to find. So I actually went in search for them and I found them. And to my surprise, it was more of a party than a political apparatus. Uh, at that time that I found them, people were swinging across the rooms on chandeliers, the guys were partying, the women were partying, it was like a ball. And I'm saying, well, okay, I'm looking at these papers and I'm looking at what's going on in Chicago and in New York and in California, and uh, people are partying here, something's wrong. And of course, my initial thing was, well, okay, they didn't have any leadership, they didn't have any discipline, they didn't have an understanding of what was going on. And perhaps if we got in there and worked with them and me and a couple other guys actually joined. The Panther organization, mm. you know, headquartered in Oakland, mm -hmm. didn't have oversight in the sense of what was going on in Baltimore? It grew too fast. It, did, it had oversight in a sense that it took people to California and trained them and send them back, right? Uh, the Panther Party grew too fast. Uh, uh, I guess the, at the end of uh, 66, it actually, the formulation, you know, in October 66, it actually started, but it didn't really take hold until like mid-67, and, it, it, and then it exploded across the country. And, it became the way to express the rage, yeah, especially yeah, after 68. Yeah, and people just start joining, group formations started, whole organizations took off their green or black or red or whatever and became Panthers. And then they sent people to California and they got trained and it happened, it was, it was too fast. The expansion was too fast. The training was too short uh, and, uh, and then there were just constantly new people bombarding the formations. Even after the training was there, there were people joining. And as even as people were joining, there were people leaving. And a and lot of those people joining, we all know now, and you mm -hmm. came to know, yeah. were cops. And in fact, you told me that the guy that so. actually founds the mm -hmm. Panther Baltimore chapter mm -hmm. is a member of the National Security mm -hmm. Agency. Yes, the, the the Maryland State chapter yeah. is is uh, yes he uh, his name was Warren Hart and uh, he worked for the National Security Agency and uh, and and formulated the apparatus that became the Baltimore uh, Panthers. And the, the idea is the, the Panthers. The, the Panther Party will be to, a magnet to attract militants, and you'll get to know who are the militants and and get them locked up and get them arrested. And some of them actually disappeared. Uh, one of my friends actually was murdered. 
uh, as a result of this guy, uh, he sent him out on a mission that was unauthorized and illegal, and he got an entanglement with the police and ended up getting killed. Uh, I actually investigated that. That's really what triggered my investigation of him because it- Him being Hart. Hart, yeah, him being the captain at the time, right? Uh, because it, it didn't make any sense what had happened. At the time, all the newspapers were on strike in Baltimore. Uh, and so I went up actually and knocked on the doors and questioned people and did interviews and whatnot and uh, discovered that it was just it, the way this guy got killed, it didn't make any sense at all. And then eventually I went and questioned how, why he was in that area and what was he doing and who had sent him. And all the information led back to this captain. And then I started investigating the captain and determined that he wasn't who he said he was because he didn't even live where he said he was living. He didn't work where he was supposed to be working. And, but at that point I realized that I was dealing with somebody that was connected and had some kind of police cover. So I actually reported to California and they sent an investigation team down from like New York. And during the process of investigating, he fled he fled Maryland, he fled the country. Now this is, as we all know now, yeah. or if anyone that follows this, this was part of a national campaign, COINTELPRO, yes. which involved the National Security Agency, the FBI, and mm. many local police forces. Military uh, intelligence, et cetera. And all, all targeting uh, black every, militancy. Every, yeah, yeah, every police, every police force, uh, state police, the local police, et cetera. Um, and of course, we didn't discover that until uh, the mid-70s. I mean, by that time, they had destroyed the Black Panther Party. Uh, by some estimates, they had at least uh, 600 uh, agent provocateurs, uh, police informers, uh, undercover agents. And uh, in the first book that I write, uh, well, that I wrote, uh, is called The Greatest Threat. Uh, I actually did my master's research for my graduate uh, uh, program in on it in prison, right? And uh, uh, well, one just I'm gonna just give you an example. One of the things that I discovered in doing the research, I actually got all the COINTELPRO papers and I got the uh, information and, and and actually did the research to kind of like uh, validate everything that I was saying. One of the things that happened was that up in New York. Uh, Malcolm X, when Malcolm X was assassinated, 